From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Ah, that sounds like a very good pour this morning. What was that? I don't even know. That's the uh, 1600 Marsan from the Simons Vineyard. Uh, thank you very much. Right. So, hey, good see morning, ha- everybody. See what happens when, when they're away, how we <laughs> just go in. There was, go in and, and there was and no open bottles in the, in the cellar there, which normally there is. So it makes me think that they, they weren't doing any tasting yesterday. So, yeah, but, And before we get started, Bart, I didn't get to ask you um, about um, Chef Cycle. Yeah. Chef how'd Cycle's how'd it come out? It was great. Um, you got past your goal, um, didn't you? I, I got that. past my financial goal. Thank awesome. you to everybody again and again and again. Um, the uh, everybody finished. Um, everybody, uh, nobody got hurt. Um, the fundraising is still going on. If anyone's you know interested, but we've raised over eight hundred and eighty thousand wow. dollars. Holy cow! Really? Um, so it's a hundred and there was one hundred twenty-five people uh, registered this year because of COVID. Um, it was it was it, we couldn't it couldn't be as big. Um, had to do with you know rules and and whatnot, um, and and people not ready to do things like that. Um, but you're out on a bike. Wow. Well, it's the gathering. So, you know, it's, okay. they take over the Flamingo Hotel, uh, which if no one's... Shout out to the Flam- Flamingo Hotel. I, the I will say that. Yes. Flamingo. Yes. Um, and it's been all redone, right? Yeah, Since- and it's beautiful, and it has the feel of... The Rat Pack the feel. The Rat Pack feel. Oh. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> their staff was gracious and helped the chefs prepare the meals that we uh, got to indulge in. It's the thing about bike riding is that you burn so many calories... You can eat anything you want and be ready to go the next day, right? <laughs> it's it's all in the idea of of getting ready for the next day's ride. How many riders were there in this? So there was. Um, it ended up only being about ninety riders. Oh, um, some huge. people were out with COVID and stuff, um, but and a lot of guys that couldn't travel that registered. They did the rides at their own home or did you know something. Um, so uh, it, it, it was great, and and I kind of thought that maybe that would be it for me, and then I got done with it. And I'm like, no, I got to do this again. Um, and try to get more people. Um, Chef Brian Jones um, uh, was there um, this year. Armando from EDK did it. Did and, he talk? Um, uh, yeah, he had a few words. <laughs> he's but, a you man know, a few words. And, and he's new to cycling, um, <laughs> okay. and so good for him for, for doing that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I got other people that have seen seen it and they're showing interest in it. So, um, anyway, long story short, it was great. Cool. Yeah. So That's so, a really nice thing you do. Congrats. Thanks, John. It's, it's um, the second or third time. This is the second time I've actually done it uh, because of COVID. You know, a couple of them were canceled. Um, COVID really screwed us up for yeah. a couple. And, of and for those it. people that aren't, <laughs> yeah, the people that aren't uh, don't know what I'm talking about. Um, the charity is uh, No Kid Hungry, um, based out of Washington D.C. Um, and this particular um, event was started by a group of chefs that wanted to raise money f- to get food for those programs to feed kids at school. So kids don't go to school hungry or on the weekends they have food or summer. And um, 
And so these chefs said, well, if we ride from, I don't remember what, was it New York to Philadelphia or somewhere on the East Coast, if we do that and we get people to give us money, um, we'll donate all that money to it. And so like 12 or 13 guys went out. Um, and then from there it grew. And then they did from Salinas. Well, I, I don't remember what those are. And like I, I 10 years maybe? Oh, the, it's been going on for about 10 years. Okay. And so since 2017, they finally just based it here in Sonoma. And it's traditionally 300 miles in three days. So you get the full tour of Sonoma County. Um, and uh, like I said, in 2019 when I did it, there was 300 of us and we raised $3 million. Wow. So, Jeez. and what they say is a dollar is a food for 10 meals. So you guys that, if you listen to this show, you know my math isn't very good. Um, it's, a so it's a lot. Of, it's, <laughs> it's a lot of, it's a lot of food. It's a lot of meals, yeah. yeah. So check it out. Um, and yeah, thanks, Brian. I very appreciate cool. it. So, so today on the show, Sam's, first yeah. of all, Sam's on secret assignment and we'll probably pop his head in here. Um, mm. I think he's bottling, which just means really what he's doing is standing and watching the machine run. <laughs> and okay. he's not even watching Somebody's the machine run to tell someone, hey, there's a problem, because quite frankly, he wouldn't really know anyway. <laughs> you know, I mean, um, but so um, I have um, known Charlie Tolbrook since uh, probably about 1990, I would say. Um, I was at Kenwood. Um, you at that point, I think, were maybe with the Benzigers. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yep. And um, hadn't had been with them. And we'll, we'll go through all this, but um, Charlie's worked for a whole bunch of people. Uh, last year was his 50th harvest. Congrats. Oh, Congrats. shit. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, you know, time flies when you're having fun. Well, it does. It yeah. does. What was your favorite one? Do you have one that stands out? Oh, my God. After 50 years? No, you know, it's like kids. How do, you don't have a favorite kid, but uh, I was real lucky to work with a lot of great people coming through the industry um yeah. I, I mean i gotta get a glass just so we can ding glasses oh, we, we might break <laughs> one <laughs> come up but go ahead Charlie. um you know I, but i started out as vineyard labor um i answer you know after a year of college where i thought i could just assimilate knowledge through osmosis uh <clears throat> didn't work out my dad wasn't going to keep paying tuition for that I answered an ad uh, in the local paper uh, for vineyard labor. And you I, were at Sonoma uh, State? No, I was at U, uh, USF. You were at USF, okay. Yeah. And, and just to back up real quick, where did you grow up again? Sonoma. Yeah, okay, but that's what I thought. From the fourth grade on, my dad was career Navy. <laughs> okay. And he was stationed at uh, Skaggs Island. Uh, we moved uh, there when I was nine. We moved from Guam. And then, wow. uh, so I went to school in Sonoma from fourth grade on. Beats corn in Guam. So you've been on Skaggs Island. I mean, you, you lived there. You for, lived there. Yeah. Don't get John started on Highway 37 again. No, no, we're not <laughs> no, going to go there. We're going to stay. <laughs> we're going to stay north of 37. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's interesting, Charlie. I mean, I, it's my entire life. It's always been out there. And, well, we see know. the sign. You you pass right. the sign all the time, but I, know, I I don't even know what that what it is. Well, it's a decommissioned naval base, uh -huh. and it was a um, <clears throat> there was. A, two functions there one was transmitters and the other was uh highly top secret receivers they were monitoring uh you know transmissions from this was the height of the cold war wow. you know you right know here. early 60s you know uh, mid uh and so they were 
you know, this was during the Cuban Missile Crisis, all of that. So, uh, yeah, it was, you know, Navy bases are a great way to grow up. You know, every two or three years, your your dad or mom gets stationed to a new spot. So you pick up, change schools, make new friends. Wait, you uh, say that's great. Was it really great? <laughs> it, it was. I mean, okay. because you, uh, where we were, were on small bases, and there you you had to make friends. You know, and you had uh, three or four guys. You'd get in fights, but you know, five minutes later, you're you know, you know, best friends again. The way that happens in high school, right? Yeah. You know, I was just listening to um, to MJ's latest podcast with Todd Alexander from Force Majeure. Yeah, and Todd also um, grew up on in military. And he said the same exact thing. He said it was awesome. He goes, every three or four years, you'd move to somewhere that would seem to be exciting until you figured out whether it was good or not. And he goes, but you were always leaving in three or four years. Um, well, and also you learn to answer the phone. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. You know, and, um, you know, you just, you knew how to tell, you know, 0800, you know, 1300, 1400 hours. You well, know? yeah, you, you grow up being trained well. Yeah, yeah. That's a good thing. Yeah. Okay, so back to you answered an ad. So, and I, I went to work at uh, Buena Vista Vineyards, which was owned by Frank Bartholomew. He was the uh, president emeritus of United Press International. The very, same as Bart Park. Then. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Very distinguished gentleman. And uh, Don Van Staveren was my boss. So, here's, here's to Don. There's the, there's the yeah. first. And uh, work ethic, baby. That yeah. guy had a work ethic. He grew up on dairies. So that's oh, that, yeah. that's seven days a week, 365 days a year, twice a day yeah. that There's, you're milking cows. Yeah, the, every day is Tuesday on a dairy. Yeah. Like truly um, every day is Tuesday. Yeah. But I learned so much, and uh, it, it was a great opportunity, but it was sub-minimal, sub-minimum wage. So I just – I knew there wasn't a future there. Right. So then I – Went across the creek and worked for Albrecht at Buena Vista Winery. Okay, so uh, because I like to set the, the tone here, what year was this? 1972. 1972. Wow. W who were the other people working in the vineyard? There, there wasn't a, much of a migrant workforce then. No, not, not back then. There was uh, Billy Joe, <laughs> Billy Joe, and um, Jay. Jay was a transplant from New York, and he was, uh, you know, kind of a, a Buddhist-type guy. Right. Uh, you know, very quiet, <laughs> contemplative. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just focused on his work. Yeah. His sister Susan lived with him on the property there. And Don, and then Arlie, who was uh, the old-timer. And uh, <clears throat> I got introduced to folks like Joe Miami. Joe Miami. Yeah, we've heard yeah. that name yeah. many times. Yeah, and he's a real pioneer yeah. in the valley. Yep. Uh, you know, he was responsible for a lot of stuff at Monterosso. Mm -hmm. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, he's, his reputation precedes him. So, yeah. Um, so then you went across the, uh, literally across the creek. And, and it would say it was, I'm drawing a blank on who you said. Al Brett. Al Brett. Yeah. And is this the first time you experienced Steve Sullivan? No, and Steve and I went to high school together. Wow. So, I guess I've never known that. Yeah, yeah. We go back to like our sophomore days in high school. And then what about Val? Uh, that's where I met Val yeah. at Buena Vista. Yeah. He, he, you know, Val, uh, his qualifications were, were his last name. 
Right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but he's but he's just a great friend, still a close friend, yeah. great storyteller, uh, still active in the business. Yep. In fact, uh, we worked together last harvest. Right. Um, we jump on flatbeds for the uh, friend of vineyard management, yep. hauling ma- macro bins around out of vineyards that you can't get big equipment into. Right. And, um, uh-huh. you know, it. I do it because it's good for me. Right. But then having a buddy doing it with you was just a gas. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's that aspect for all the, you know, pressure and, and rapidness with harvest and everything. Um, you can only still only move as fast as you can move when it comes to moving fruit or making wine and stuff. Like it's not always just go as fast as you can. And, um, (laughs) and when you've done it for a long time and you understand that, um, there is a time to pause and kind of have some fun during harvest. Well, the best thing about that type of job is you, you don't have to worry about stuck fermentations. You don't have to worry about growers <laughs> who are, you know, they're not ready, they're ready. It's just like, go here, take it there. Right. You know, and after that, check in, then right. find out the next. So it's just like, do what you're told right. and make sure that the load is strapped down well. <laughs> and you know and it's that simple right yeah and plus you get to see uh remarkable vineyard sites and then delivering to wineries all over the place right. um you know like uh, one trip last harvest was hauling fruit out of bald mountain yeah to mayakamas winery right which is rebuilt from the fires and <clears throat> the whole journey is you're on top of uh, you know the the ridge the ridge yeah and um it's only like maybe three miles just the crow flies right. <laughs> but it takes you an hour to right. get there right yeah yeah because you actually have to come down off the mountain to go back up the mountain um, you've basically. done this yeah. Yeah, yeah once or twice i'm sure yeah. Yeah. what's your what's the worst road you have to drive uh, going up to uh, uh bismarck which is at the top of cave yeah. dale it's right by Bill Hawley's. It's yeah. just below Bill Hawley's property at Random Ridge. I mean, Cavedale is treacherous. No matter what. No matter what. Yeah. And, 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 <clears> then you're road. off-road. Right. And you're driving a truck that's, you know, a flatbed truck. You have maybe two or four tons on it. Um, it's going to throw you around. Well, it's just, you. it takes a lot longer to slow down, right? <laughs> it takes, you know, it, it, it takes... And it, you're going like... <laughs> it's like being on the ocean because and and what you don't want to have happen is have your load shift because you, then you're you're in the middle of nowhere right yeah right. and it's you know there's not a forklift or or a tractor nearby and yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm sure that there are some stories about getting hung up out there oh you know what you know one of my favorite things driving around during harvest is finding the first fruit on the ground and then trying to detective back to who was it that spilt the fruit on the highway, right? <laughs> you know, and sometimes you go, "Oh, this was not a good thing here at all." And then sometimes you see some fruit laying on the side of the road, and you go, "Oh, someone's driving too fast." I mean, I when I was doing that sort of job, we got in big trouble if there was ever grapes found on the ground, and it was usually from the grower who was following you, right, back to the winery. <laughs> Milo used to like you yell. Well, yeah, and then don't overload them. Right. You know, it's right. just like, yeah. yeah. Anyway, we're digressing into like, real geek stuff. <laughs> so, Charlie, at that point, Buena Vista um, was 
looked nothing like it looks currently. I mean, thanks to John Charles for bringing it back to its... Well, this was, as you mentioned, almost 50 years ago. Right. So it was the old Buena Vista. And, uh, I mean, there was no, you know, the refrigeration was a heat exchanger, right. which you'd use for white wines. Would get As they're fermenting, you pump through the heat exchanger to take cool the, the temperature, temperature down. Uh, any barrels we had were, you know, old whiskey barrels that were used for, like, oh, port shit. or sherry. Yeah. Uh, we picked in the wooden lug boxes. Wow. Uh, it, you know, you, you think back then, uh, the technology we had. I mean, we were working with casks that came around the Horn of uh, South America. Right. Uh, that's how they got right. to California. Right. Um, it was totally old school. Right. But, but great fun. Right. Great fun. Right. Al made sure we worked hard. But he made sure we had fun. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I, I've heard stories of those days, but we won't drag you through all those stories. So how long... I'm, I'm in the witness protection program. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at that point, uh, was that next Haywood? Uh, no, it was then it was Chateau Saint-Jean. Yes, then it was uh, Chateau Saint-Jean, which hadn't been built yet. Um I went to work for Barney Fernandez uh, in the vineyard building deer fencers. It's three miles of deer fence to build. Uh, and, you know, good hard work. Yeah. You know, six days a week. Yeah. Um, and then as the winery was being constructed that summer, and since I knew which end of the pump was the suction, I got pulled <laughs> into the winery and worked the first harvest there, which would have been... 1975 and so was that was richard there wait 75 yeah. so richard was there was right was don was that when don made the no change? say no. you got to tell people that don't know so first of all when you talk about val right that's val heresy correct who right. anyone that doesn't know sonoma or grew up here the Count Harrisy married General Vallejo's daughter way back when, and that's the reason we got the right. general's daughter there because that house was built for him. And then when you say Richard, this is Richard Arrowwood, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. So um, well, I just want to, yeah, because you guys are you're like you're, right. you're like no, two no, you're guys right. on a porch. <laughs> right. Right. No, exactly. <laughs> Nobody knows what we're talking about. No, but I'm trying to help. I'm trying to share these things because. I find this all this stuff fascinating. For sure, how interwoven this is. Yeah, and and that's what makes Sonoma Valley so special, is during this time of the wine industry flourishing, it was just a small group of people, and they all worked together so well, and they all helped each other out. And you know, now we're this huge valley, quote unquote, and all these product, all these different wineries are here but the basis of it is this time that when charlie's Still, been here right. well because what was so what was I mean, on which, highway 12 at that time in the in the early 70s so you had chateau saint jean and the what because well, we think of you know kundi being there and um, you had you had pagani which then morphed into kenwood okay uh, actually when i started there was six wineries in the valley okay sebastiani the biggest buena vista um, Hansel, uh, yeah. Valley of the Moon, and Pagani which up in Kenwood, and now there's got to be like more four hundred. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. it's in the hundreds. Yeah, yeah. a lot. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, isn't it amazing that that was it? You know, there were closed down. There were buildings that had been wineries or that would become wineries, you know? I mean, um, but but those were the operating ones, yeah. you know? Um, and Sebastiani was the big boy. That was the... Mm-hmm. By they, far. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. But going to St. Jean when it was brand new from Buena Vista was 180 degrees of right. technology. I mean, right. it was stainless steel refrigeration, German centrifuge, uh, French oak barrels. Right. Um, it, it was state-of-the-art, whereas coming from Buena Vista, it was totally old school. And, and nothing else in the valley was state-of-the-art, really, except, I mean, with the, I, I guess Hansel probably had French oak barrels. Mm-hmm. Um, But everybody else still had old wood tanks, um, except Sebastiani. They would have maybe had some stainless steel. They would have probably been the most modern. Well, they had all these big redwood. I mean, huge huge redwoods. And then they brought that gentleman in who carved pictures on them. And um, but (laughs) where are those now? Do you know? I uh, would have hoped they're still there. They're still there. You can you no. You can go into the tasting room and. There's like a room where they do tastings in those rooms. Still, yeah. okay, yeah. yeah, all right, yeah. I thought um, they had pulled out of that. Yeah, so I mean, and and Saint Jean, that was that was so that was the first true modern entry of the modern era. Then, right, and then also uh, they were doing vineyard designates, you know, kind of like uh, the European model. Uh, we produced like six Gewurz Traminers, eight or nine Rieslings, a dozen Chardonnays. Uh, the focus early on was uh, white wines, uh, huh. <clears throat> dessert, dessert wines, uh, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, and uh, but we were doing red wines, but the white wines kind of stole the thunder. And is that because they were selling? They were popular. Yeah. Uh, they s- always scored well in competitions. Right. Uh, you know, uh, Richard Arrowwood was a stickler for detail. And plus, he had Barney Fernandez, his vineyard guy, his uh, who grew up here in Sonoma. Uh, he was scouring up into Mendocino County for a remarkable vineyard, standalone vineyards that uh, could show, shine through. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's interesting because that just wasn't happening. I mean. Um, I guess shortly thereafter, Kenwood would have been turned into Kenwood, but they were still like they were trying to figure it out. They, they, they weren't because if they bought it seventy one, their first artist series was until seventy five. So it took them a few years to even get on board of like trying to focus on doing the premium wine thing, right? Yeah, and they uh, actually when I was working at Buena Vista. I got sent to um, Kenwood because uh, we had Cabernet there uh, that was being stored. Right. And I was sent up there to rack it from like one 10,000 gallon redwood tank to another. And it took like three days to (laughs) do it with a one inch pump. Oh my God. (laughs) But I had to sit there and, and, you know, and monitor it. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure that, you know, the hoses wouldn't break. And, you know, but, uh, yeah, so Kenwood also went through that a transformation from old school giant redwood tanks to 
state of the art, you know, right. stainless steel, right. and, you know. heating and cooling tanks and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's some great story. My buddies, a, a lot of time I get. Oh, you worked at Kenwood. No, I was guilt by association. My buddies worked there. <laughs> and but but because we'd hang out, you know, you you know, you're judged by the company you keep. Right. And, uh, right. and the loudest people tend to make the biggest impact, right? Yeah. And and they go, Oh, well that's the Kenwood crew and people go, Oh yeah, figures. But they, they had just great, great stories, you know. It's like <clears throat> I'll I'll spill the beans on one of them. They had this <clears throat> Mike Lee, the um, winemaker partner, um, he he would get used equipment from a buddy of his who was specialized in used equipment. So they had this uh, stainless steel tank with a a cone bottom with an auger coming out of it that would feed into a little two-ton Wilma's press, which is tiny, a tiny press. And uh, but. The, the grapes would bridge over so they'd have to get in and shovel them and so very dangerous very right? dangerous moving parts so yeah. <laughs> my buddy Val Harristy is in there feeding the auger and Mike Mike Lee's wife Karn is outside loading the press as the grapes come out and Val took off his rubber boots set it up the good <laughs> and the rubber boot comes out. She, of course, thinks that the conveyor ate his leg, you know. Um, so that's the kind of that's the kind of fun they would have. Yeah, the, the kind of like not hap- not funny oh, yeah, if it really right? happens. What is it? Freshman hijinks. Yeah, um, yeah. and college and, stuff. Yeah, and I will tell you. I mean that 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 group of people that worked there, and I was you know later in that group. Um, that sort of thing never ended, like the, the playing jokes on each other and um, uh, the, 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 we would call it hazing now, I guess. Um, <laughs> no, not, not hazing, but um, it, it, was, it was a lot of fun. It was a great era um, of, of the wine business um, well, another, that you guys were in. Another thing that Kenwood did is they, they fed their crew during harvest. One of their um, guys on, on the cellar staff was an accomplished chef. So during harvest, he would fix lunch for everybody. And, of course, the grape uh, delivery drivers, they were welcome to lunch. Then the next thing you know, all the deliveries were showing up at noon right. on the dot. <laughs> you know, it's getting, like here's 15 trucks. <laughs> the word got out. Yeah. Right. yeah. And, then, and then the growers would also, they would follow their grapes in, you know. Why, and why is that? For a free lunch. <laughs> yeah, we're oh. good lunches. Right? <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, yeah, no, I mean, it was like gourmet lunches. It was yeah. It was awesome. And then, you know, of course, then we'd all go back and um, run heavy equipment. But we would drink wine very um, responsibly. Um, <laughs> right. But Thanks. I will tell you that in a modern time after that, that ended very quickly. And it was explained to me personally why it was ending. And um, I guess I understand. Yeah, there was a story I I understood at the time. John Sheila, the president and one of the founders, was giving a tour to the insurance agent. And they come across this keg of beer. And the insurance guy goes, what's this? And he goes, well, you know, our guys, you know, nobody, you know, takes advantage of it. They they enjoy a beer. They work hard. He goes, "Eh, no, that's got to (laughs) go. 
So then it will just go to beers in the refrigerator. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> right. <laughs> just don't make it so obvious, you guys. Yeah. Well, it takes a lot of beer to make wine. It yes, does. it does. It does. Um, so, Charlie, the, so Richard Arrowood. Um, can, can, can I, I'm sorry, because I, I don't do. know this. Please I'm just do. wondering, who, what was the, who was the money behind Chateau Saint-Jean? That was the, the Merzoyan family. Uh, and, and with Ken Sheffield, mm-hmm. um, they were uh, growers in, in the by Visalia area in this uh, southern Central Valley. They grew table grapes, raisin grapes, wine grapes based on you know the commodity prices. Mm-hmm. But they did a lot of raisins and a lot of fresh um, grapes mm-hmm. for you know the produce market. And they had a, a very large cold storage facility for that. So that was the money that started St. Jean. And and the idea was make, I mean, get a, get away from table grapes or just that'll fund this other thing well, that we can well, pot- produce world-class wines. Yeah. You know, but that uh, was, that was from the, that was from what's his name? Sheffield. Yeah. He, Ken Sheffield, I think it was a brother-in-law and then the Merzoyan family. Uh, so they just, they, they, they saw what was maybe happening and, wanted to get in on it and, and picked Sonoma as they were opposed er- to making a winery down there. Yeah, that, down yeah there. that's early on, too. You right. know, I, I mean, mean, I guess I'm saying they weren't in the wine business down there other than maybe selling some grapes to Gallo. Yeah, they, they, they sold uh, wine grapes, table right. grapes, and raisin grapes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's kind of, uh, they wanted to get into the, um, what they called back then, the fine wine. Right. And remember, Brian, at that point, you could get into the wine business. I mean, I guess it's all relevant, but you certainly didn't need what would have been at that time um, high-tech money or, you know, um, uh, passed along wealth, right, to maybe get into it, right? Uh, property wasn't nearly as expensive as now. It would be and- interesting to do an analysis of what the property was at that back. Well, to know how much it took to start Chateau St. Yeah. Jean. Irrelevant know, to this day. Right. The property right. and the building. I, right. I have to feel, though, that it's nowhere near what it would be to do now. But it's it's a multi-million dollar place, that's for sure. I mean, it is pretty. Oh, it's gotta say. fabulous. And, uh, and they've got to have first class uh, facilities well now it's being resurrected uh by foley but yeah uh, and, and the foley family has stated that they want to bring it back to its original grandeur and uh, starting by changing the label are they changing the <laughs> Did label they? Oh. Yeah. oh that well that's yeah that's, i mean there's been there's been many Saint different Spaj. versions of saint jean labels and stuff and yeah. that was of that era without a doubt well i had a so, manager the other night that we had a group from foley come and and stay at the hotel i work at the fairmont charlie and oh, okay. had, um and they wanted some of their wine so i brought in some ferrari carano and some chalk hill and and some chateau saint jean some saint sapage so it was and then there was a little bit left over so i just put it on the wine list and one of the managers the other night was looking for the saint sapage and he couldn't find it and finally i walked over and i said it's right there and he said oh they changed the label i was looking for the old label Every marketing, every new marketing team that comes in is going to change the label. Yeah, <laughs> it's too bad. You're absolutely right. Yeah, right? yeah. That's the first thing they, they do. Have they an, put they have an idea of, on it. Of, of yeah, what it should look like. Right. That's going to really. And then pump the other the thing sales. that's really interesting is start looking at your wine labels and count how many different fonts are on your wine label. Yeah, <laughs> start with Sam's. 
Yeah. He's got a lot. Um, well, Sam has things I don't <laughs> even think those would be classified fonts. They're just pieces of art, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Grapes with a view, wine with a vision. Yeah. So so when working with Richard, Richard had, you know, come from Corbell. Um, you guys can listen to the Richard Airwood episodes if if you if you want. We won't go Back too much at, into that. At Amapola Creek. Yep. That was uh, yeah. two and a half years ago. Um, when he sold? No, the, no, when we did, when the, we did, oh, the did a show right. up there with yeah. Richard, and I think that, that was at the time he was telling us he was looking he forward to, to moving to Idaho, I yeah, think, and he wanted out. shooting some animals. <laughs> well, he, he mostly shoots clay discs. Okay. He's, uh, he's got a place in Montana with its own um, <clears throat> trap. Uh, it's called Sporting Clays, mm-hmm. uh, where it flings out different presentations of uh, what birds might do right and that's what he enjoys he really doesn't enjoy uh, killing live animals so So what i was going to say is charlie worked for richard a couple times during his career three iterations three iterations yes (laughs) so i thought that might be a good time to kind of talk about that so when when you were at saint jean you were essentially a seller rat I was um, assistant winemaker and oh, cellar sorry. master. <laughs> yeah, um, and cellar rat. Right, because I knew which end of the pump was right. the suction. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, okay, you're the you're the cellar master. No, you work hard. Okay, you're the assistant winemaker. Right. Um, As Danabelle, you say I assist in the winemaking. Yeah. Of course, I'm an assistant winemaker. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a great education, great experience. Yeah. Uh, really good crew. Um, yeah. yeah, and then came an opportunity to go to work for Peter Haywood. Right. Because Peter was delivering, selling fruit to his fruit to Kenwood. Okay. And, and for you listeners out there, Los Chamazal Vineyard, the Zin that I make, that is Peter Haywood that we're speaking about. Yeah. Right. Go ahead. Yeah. So uh, Peter pulls in there like in late June, early July, says, hey, I just bought a winery. And they go, oh, and my buddy Steve Sullivan goes oh you're gonna need a winemaker and i got just the guy for you <laughs> and so um peter and i got in together and uh that was my first winemaking opportunity going to work for peter in 1980 so so you say that he bought a winery now did he build it or did they buy it he he bought a, it was like it, a concrete bomb shelter looking thing it was you know poured in place still had the uh snap ties sticking out of it okay so that's that was already there yeah he bought that from walter benson who was a he de, walter was a developer who did the seventh street east project you know okay yeah um the ranch they the it. ranch the ranch um and walter was quite a character he'd he'd uh get up in the morning his t-shirt would be inside out and backwards he'd roll around in the dirt and then get on his tractor <laughs> and uh quite a character uh he started this little winery it's called views land okay it was the name of his uh development company uh <clears throat> let's see uh marianne graff was his consultant <laughs> from see me yeah uh, see me and then you know her uh um Inquiry, right? That's, um, that's that's old school woman in wine business for you people out there, like right? You know. uh, a winemaker from Simi, yeah. and then started her yeah. own business, uh, and then Walter decided to sell it, and Peter bought it, and uh, then 
Peter and I got together, and yeah. so and so that's when you. And then, how long would you did you work with Peter? Almost ten years. Okay. Yeah, and it was uh, a great experience for me. Uh, it was all estate fruit with some outside fruit we'd we'd buy occasionally, uh, but you know, great Zinfandel as you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Cabernet Merlot. Sauvignon Blanc, Riesling, yep. Chardonnay. Chardonnay. I remember. Uh, I, at that time, I'm I'm in Petaluma working at restaurants, as, so I'm a teenager. So it's got to be mid to late '80s. But I remember seeing the Haywood label. I think we had Haywood Chardonnay, like at Petrucci's or yeah. or or one of those other, or maybe a Deschmier or something that I worked at. But I remember the label because it really distinct writing of. Uh, Haywood, right? Um, yeah, and, and I and I had I had learned about Haywood because I went to the Harvest Fair for the first time, and Mark Stupich, part of the Kenwood crew, and I were going around tasting only Zinfandels, and that wine made such a huge impression on me, um, and it was the Rocky Terrace, um, and so anyway, that was you know so that's where I came on my radar. But but Peter he doesn't still make wine, right? He just sells fruit. Yeah, he if he makes a little home wine, I'd be surprised. But um. yeah, he 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 did. So what ended up happening is Peter ended up at some point selling his brand to um, the Moa Rocky family, um, which event at one point owned Buena Vista, right? Yeah. And Moa Rocky's yeah. husband's family's business. Okay. And then and he always sold the grapes to them, and then they eventually got rid of the label or wanted to dissolve the label, he bought the brand back and then started making some wine for a number of years. But he's since mm. now um, retired from that. Yeah, you get tired of chasing uh, cases across the country, you know, yeah. and it's it's so much work. Uh, it's so much easier to make it than it is to sell it. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> making wine's actually fun. Yeah. Yeah. But it, but it was a great opportunity for me and a great fruit to work with, um, and I worked with uh, Sarah Steiner, who uh, she and I worked together at St. Jean, and then she came and joined our effort, and also uh, Peter's son Alan. So it it was quite quite a crew, mm-hmm. um, and again, you know, we worked hard, but we really had fun, and uh, made some pretty good wines along the way. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So. Um, so, and, and I'm trying not to make this just like this is your life. I'm trying to go through all these places. Well, I'm enjoying this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. Uh, fun. That's okay. Especially, so, especially it, Arrowwood. So, so bear with me. Um, so after Haywood, was that when you went to Benziger? Um, yeah. P- Peter felt he needed to make some changes and goes, look, you know. Um, you don't have to sugarcoat it. You got canned. No, no. no yeah, okay. Uh, you guys, look, we, we're going to make some changes. Uh, but, you know, he was he was very gracious about it. He goes, you know, keep the company car for as long as you need, you know, to, when you land on your feet. The company car. What was the company car? It was a, uh, a Chevy van, Astro van. <laughs> you know, because we could unstack one layer and we could fit three layers on a pallet in the back, you know. Uh, for deliveries and absolutely, whatever. and yeah. at that point, you probably that was part of your winemaking duties is that you were also delivering wine. It, yeah, absolutely, on Friday yeah. afternoon, <laughs> yeah. you're, you know, yeah, hitting restaurants and yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody's got to get it out there. Yeah, 
Got to sell it. Oh, yeah. I had my regular delivery routes when I worked at, at Kenwood because I had a Bruce had his little truck, but I could take more. And he'd go, hey, you know, for some baba ganoush, would you uh, drop these cases off for me when you go to home? <laughs> right. <laughs> for a falafel sandwich? Hell, yeah. So um, <clears throat> I contacted our buddy, Dale. Right. Who was he? He was building Benziger, you know, building by building, right. you know. And this was actually Glenn Ellen at that point. Yes, yeah, it, with the, yeah, but uh, at that time Dale was converting the pole barn into a barrel barn. You probably remember the barrel barn. Yes. And so I go, hey Dale, you know, I need something to do Day daytime television. It's just no good. He goes, well, come on down, you know, we get a two belt tool belt. Come on down. And so I was uh, helping with that construction and uh mike benjiger comes along he goes what are you doing here i go well i'm helping dale he goes we're looking for somebody uh and i go oh, great great uh dale here's my tool belt <laughs> <laughs> so i i started uh with them on the benziger project on the ranch that's what it was okay yeah okay. yeah because at this point glenn ellen was the behemoth behemoth that it was behemoth yeah behemoth five million cases four yeah, million that's cases four, that's four, four million, million cases yeah, that's i think lot. at that point they used to the story at least was is that at that point they were bottling a million cases a year out of the estate um that's not necessarily making the wine there but there would literally be tanker trucks coming in and then the glass trucks that would bring in the glass would stick around long enough to get refilled and go back out the driveway. Wow. Yeah. And so um, I think about that as a million, you know, if a truckload is, call it 1,200 cases, um, that's a lot of trucks. That's a lot that's of a traffic. Lot of trucks. Yes. Yeah. Always moving. Yeah. Always moving. Yeah. And the Glen Ellen neighbors were not really pleased about yeah, that. And right. they, they built the facility on 8th Street right. with the high, several high-speed lines. Yeah. Which you just get dizzy watching them. Yeah. Just Yeah, there's a reason why they have to be that mechanized because you, you, it takes just an instant to throw off the whole thing, um, the whole line, and it can be a disaster. But, uh, again, another great educational opportunity. Yeah. Uh, they put their winemakers on the road a lot to, pr to pr help the sales effort. Uh, they put us through media training, um, that's really positive. Yeah. That's really good for you. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, these grower feedback loops where they would bring growers in and um, taste the wines and discuss it. And, and they had, you know, a whole program of goals for growers to, um, you know, actually get more money by taking educational stuff. And um, yeah, I mean, they were very, very progressive in their um, working with growers. And well, the, um, the smart thing about that is if you brought a sample out with a grower and said, well, this is 30% your wine, 30% this guy's, 40% this. <clears throat> it's not as good as it'd be like, well, that's because the other two guys. That's not, my grapes, my grapes are good. Every grower in the world believes they have the best fruit on the yeah. planet. Um, and that's should. why you have yeah. so many, such a proliferation of labels. So what, <laughs> yeah. what uh, the Benziger family did is, okay, this is 100% your wine this you know so let's let's assess it let's take a look at it well we Some like ownership these things. yeah we like these things about it but these things we'd like to see improved and if you do that you know we'll keep buying your grapes 
And, and where did the Benzigers learn that? Because I mean, it, were they in business in the wine business in New York? No. Well, the, but they. I mean, their father Bruno was in the liquor dis- distribution, so they had. Um, I think they were the Budweiser distributor for the White Plains, Greater White Plains Believe area. So. Um, and, and and Harvey and, Scotch. And Harvey Scotch. Like Bruno was the first one to bring in Harvey Scotch into the United States. And, and then he brought it in in bulk, bottled it here, saving the shipping expense on the bottles, mm-hmm. and then could, uh, you know, undercut his uh, competition. Right. And as Mike said, it's uh, Harvey Scotch sent him to, you know, Holy Cross, you know. And so there was definitely some business know-how in the liquor business yeah. or in the alcohol industry and so and then they they surrounded themselves with incredibly smart people right um and bruno was very shrewd and um and mike was mike had a it was intuitive was mike sharp and driven and and driven yeah and, yeah and you can make up a lot with passion and and being driven yeah yeah, uh, Mike came out here. Uh, he worked in Beltramos on the peninsula and then uh, worked at uh, some small wineries uh, making wine. And, and he, that's where he met Bruce Rector. And <clears throat> when they started Glen Ellen, they brought Bruce in to help out. Bruce is spending all his time there, sleeping on the couch. He goes, You're a partner. Let's keep this rolling. They built it up to 4 million cases a year. Uh, they had uh, Glen Ellen, M.G. Vallejo, Benziger, and Imagery. M.G. Vallejo was theirs as well? Yeah. 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 I never knew and, that. And, and Val worked for them during a period of that. Mm-hmm. He was out on the road. He was the, the face man yeah. for it. Wow. The face man with, with the name, too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, seriously. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I mean... Um, uh, that was a dyna- another dynamic time in, in, in the valley. I mean, at Kenwood, they always cursed about the Benzigers, you know, saying how, because they were new, right? And they had immediate success. Well, out-of-towners. And out-of-towners, of, right? right? Not that the Kenwood guys weren't local. They were from San Francisco. I mean, I right. guess they were, but... But they weren't um, East Coasters. But they weren't East no. Coasters. <laughs> and, and there was, again, to say driven and competitive... I mean, it was a competitive edge then, and um, there was an event called the Sonoma County um, Sonoma County Harvest Fair, and that was that was the World Series of wine at the time, you right? Know? And it was just all Sonoma County, but it was your peers, and at that point, it really was your peers. It wasn't a lot of outside the area ownership. Um, and the first year the Benzigers came in, they won the Sweepstakes Award for the best wine, and mm-hmm. then they came back the next year and did it again. And, uh, and as uh, Joe described, Joe Benziger describes, he goes, yeah, that, that uh, wine that won the sweepstakes, I was sitting on, t- on top of a rented milk truck reading a How to Make Wine book. Right. <laughs> Joey. Exactly. Joey. What a character. Yeah. Um, What's he doing nowadays? Golfing. Okay. Yeah. Having fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. he helps his daughter every once in a while at imagery with, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. with some stuff. And He can be usually found at the Jack London Lodge. Well, I tell you, they, they uh, they're still doing a hell of a business at Imagery. Every time I drive by, they're they're packed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
The girls are doing good. Well, and kind of unfair advantage, too, to have all your family members, right? Because didn't they have a bunch of family working? So you, you have kind of a, a built-in workforce that yeah. is all on the same, well, I guess not all on the same page. Well, they, the but they were also but, a lot different ages, and, and then there were also a lot of them living together. So it also made for, I mean, going back to practical jokes and um, stories like that, um, there's a ton of them within that family. Um, and you know, I won't say that I ever broke up a fight, but I used to have to help them communicate between themselves. You know, that, the family dynamic always really impressed me that they always came out with a unified, unified voice. And I look at my own family and we're all tight. We love each other. We get along. I can't imagine for a minute being in business with any of them, yeah. you know, because we're just <laughs> think so different. And I'm thinking, how did how did they get all marching in the same direction, singing the same song? Yeah, uh, there there were fights, of course, but you know, um, they they presented a unified front. When they 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 had the their partners meetings, and. Um, I remember Mike or Joe one time saying that they've never had, they never brought it to a vote. Like it was never anything like that. It would sit and be discussed and worked out and negotiated and, or what, you know, maybe not negotiated, but whatever it was they were discussing, they worked out verbally. Um, it was never pitted as a, a vote and someone went away angry. Right. Um, so I, I imagine that the communication must be, you know, must've been very important. So, yeah. yeah. Well, they were making money too, which is important, right? That it's it's That's easier right. to yep. to uh, have a nice unified front if, it, if things are going well. Yeah, but all that money was put right back into it because the growth. I mean, if you're growing from a hundred thousand cases to two hundred thousand cases, every nickel has got to go back stuff. into buying grapes, buying glass, <laughs> buying corks, yeah. buying labels, yeah. and then when you're going from two hundred thousand to four hundred, it's the same thing. Uh, they they were building equity in their brands, mm-hmm. but I don't think there was a lot of extra money. Huh. Yeah. But the but the, obviously a vision for an end game there that, that twice right. <laughs> yeah, isn't that amazing? They did it twice. Yeah, really yeah. successful. Yeah. Really good yeah. moves. Yeah. Whatever happened to their first brand? Just it just uh, shut off once um, they sold it. They sold know. it oh, originally. They sold it to Hubline. Which Hubline morphed into um, Constellation. Okay. And then it became uh, based out of the Central Valley, out of probably... Well, Constellation enjoyed giving them money, that's for sure. (laughs) You know, I mean, then they stood back and they took as much as they would throw at them. That's great. Yeah. But Um, that's funny, though, to have the Glen Ellen label be in Central California. Well, a lot of the grapes were coming from all over the state. They, they, They... source fruit from everywhere to achieve a consistency and balance you know like one year uh this you know say the fresno area might not be strong but the lodi area was and Mm -hmm. so you you wanted continuity so they didn't want to have all their eggs in one basket as far as sourcing fruit and then also the cost of goods at uh, a three dollar four dollar price point becomes real critical that's what i remember i remember seeing those bottles at the at a liquor store and i think they were it was like 354 bucks yeah, yeah. For two for the, seven the fighting two varietals <laughs> yeah. 
and 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 they were true in that in the premium wines also that they always bought grapes from you know a lot of different areas um, to have the best sourcing and being able to blend and whatnot. Um, but yeah, uh, and that's kind of where the the imagery program was uh, born out of the desire to source really top-notch fruit and then also keep the winemakers inspired so they're not just making yeah. chocolate and vanilla they get a chance to work with oh, yeah. exotic let them, let them play around yeah, yeah. imagery so, did a really nice job they, yeah. re- they really built a nice little program there so glen allen is still in business wow um and it is um it's it's uh is it more than three bucks well, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you in a minute. It appears that, oops, am I legal? Yes, I agree. It's Pinot Grigio and Columbard, Cabernet Sauvignon, Chardonnay, and Merlot. Columbard? Columbard. Columbard's yeah. coming back around. They might. And, and you know what? It's funny. It's Glenelg Winery, Rip on California. And so I wonder if that's. That's Franzia. That's got to be Franzia. That's not Fred Franzia. That's, that's the other. Right, that's the, the other wine Franzia. group. The wine, that's the wine group. Yeah. Which is who owns Benziger. That's funny. So, man, what, isn't that amazing? Um, there's a show right there. Right. Uh, so, um, so, Charlie, after that time, you went to. I'm doing this for myself because I'm trying to remember this. You went to Fetzer. No, I went to Delicato. Oh, that's right. I got Antica. a call. Yeah, I got a call from a headhunter. I wanted to set up an interview uh, with Delicato. And I'm going, there's no way I'm moving to Manteca. Yeah. Not in a million years. But <clears throat> the interviewing experience will be valuable. Yeah. So I went out for the interview. And uh, one of the, uh, the head winemaker there, his name is Tom Smith. I had known him because he worked at Hess Collection, and uh, Benziger got grapes from Hess Collection, and I met him in one of the grower feedback loops that Bart was just talking about, and really impressive. The guy's super smart, and uh, <clears throat> went through the first interview, got called for a second interview, and I'm saying to myself, well, I'll go for the second interviewing experience. There's no way. I'm moving to Manteca to work for it. Right. Because you know. what's in Manteca? A water park. Uh, but besides that, that's what we know at Manteca Waterslides. But what, what it's do you... It's pretty bleak. Yeah. Pretty bleak. Yeah. And how big is um, Delicato? I mean, Delicato right now is... Well, go ahead. How big was Delicato then? Uh, I think... Oh, boy. I'm, I'm, we did 400,000 tons in okay. 97. Uh, 443,000 tons. In 1997, the second interview, Tom Smith talked me into it, and I'm telling it again. What a valuable education! It was, you know, uh, all of a sudden, you know, you're dealing with 300,000 gallon tanks, not 3,000 gallon tanks. And Jesus. You, there you go. If you're not, if you're not keeping your eye on the ball, you're, you're out. You know, you're. And and and. I mean, what? Don't take this wrong, but what was it that they wanted you for? Was it your experience? Well, what's the a, selling I, point of like what finally made you say, "Okay, I'll I'll move to Manteca"? Well, Tom Smith talked me into it. He goes, "You'll love it here. Believe, trust me, you will love it." And so I came on board as the Wine Quest uh-huh. winemaker, and that was their own brands. 
back in that time, they made wine for everybody else. Right. You know, a uh, million gallons for Sutter Home, Mondavi, or Glen Ellen. That's, that's why I went in the first place, because Glen Ellen had four winemakers on site there uh, babysitting the Glen Ellen wines. And they were really great, great people. Um, but they wanted to start developing their own brands. And they had uh, vineyards out in King City, which is a lot cooler than Central Valley. Um, so they brought... Air quotes. <laughs> they brought me in to be the winemaker on those projects. Okay. So... Um, and, and hopefully more money for you? Uh, well... Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, it, I mean, making that much wine, you'd hope, you know, a lot, a lot of a wine. Bump. A lot of times, the only way to get a really a raise is to change jobs. Yeah. <laughs> a promotion. Quit. Yeah. Um, and so, so you did move to Manteca, didn't you? I did. Yeah. And did you love it? I did. Uh, it's just <laughs> great, great people. Uh, the Indelicato family were the most gracious. And uh, Jay and Chris, who are the third generation, brilliant guys, super smart guys. Uh, uh, and the winemaking team, I mean, everybody was so busy, there was no time for any like office drama. It right. was just like, you know, it's full speed ahead, yeah. uh, 12 months out of the year. Yeah. I mean, harvest would start in mid-July and it would go to End of October. Yeah. With some grower holding 20 tons an acre, which is never going to get right, but the winemaker is going to push. You know, it's just, there's no more leaves. Bring it in. No, he's going to make his point to the grower. Right. You know? um, there is politics in the, between the growers and the, uh, the winemakers. I'd come in at 7 a.m. There'd be 100 trucks lined up. Oh, Good my Lord. God. And you leave at 7 p.m., there, there's still 100 trucks lined up. The, the scale is incomprehensible. Is um, it one of those? I've, I've only seen video of, of it's basically a, a loading dock kind of where, where the trucks pull up and they just dump the entire, the, the sort of the bed of it just leans over and dumps all the grapes. And then remember that video we saw? And then they have basically like a fire hose and they're just rinsing off the inside of the yeah, Well, that increases the, the yield. Of course it does. <laughs> so you said 400... <laughs> How many tons? Uh, I, I'll have to double check those right. numbers, yeah. but it was a, between King City, because there was a facility right. there, and Manteca. Right. Uh, it was it was a lot of tons. It okay. was in the hundred thousands. Of yeah, tons. I mean that's that's. I mean, I was just going in general, like that's. Well, go ahead. I'll figure out what a hundred thousand tons is, and people can use their imagination. And how many cases yeah. that makes? Yeah. Okay, a lot. Yeah. 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 <laughs> But, uh, yeah, but I also got to travel on the road uh, to promote wines with the sales force, and those guys were just awesome. Uh, some of the funniest people I've ever met in my life, uh, and spending all day with somebody who's 100% Sicilian uh, in New York, and his last name is Turdo. If that guy didn't grow up tough... Yeah, <laughs> you don't grow up tough. But at the end of the day, my sides would hurt from laughing all day long. So yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And what did you guys do? Hit major cities? You went to like Chicago and... and... What's well, kind of like where the electoral votes are is where the, the consumers mm-hmm. are. You know? okay. um, New York, Florida, Texas, you know, okay. Ohio, Illinois, California. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the biggest marketplaces, you know, and, um, and then there are wineries that don't bother with those and they pick up the St. Louis, the Clevelands, the... Birmingham, yeah, Alabama. Birmingham's like, you know. Yeah. So. But you're actually going to restaurants or are you going to stores and tasting with their... All of the above. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and if you go to Birmingham, Alabama, they are thrilled to see you, yeah. you know. You go to New York, they, they saw Robert Mondavi yesterday, yeah. and you, you, you know, big deal. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring that up because that's the way they are. You know, that, that's... New York sees everybody every day. Right. It's the center of the universe for those people. Yeah, Birmingham, not so much. Yeah. Um, so a hundred thousand cases is approximately um, a hundred thousand tons. A hundred thousand tons is approximately seven million one hundred fifty thousand. Approximately. Approximately. Cases. <laughs> How many bottles? <laughs> I'm relying on a calculator. Yeah, that's yeah. okay. Just, um, just divide it by 12. That's yeah, all you got to do. I was going to multiply it by 10. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, in the in Delicato family, as Charlie said, you know, they have their own brands, and, and they are among the t- largest wineries in the state of California or the world at this point. Um, but they do make a whole bunch of wine for those other wineries. And during that time, um, there weren't these massive tank farms that there are now, and um, things like tank farms. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, actually, the term. Uh, most of their production is for their own. Oh, use it is now. really. Yeah, okay. Oh, now of, it is. They've okay. made that shift. Yeah. 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 Um, but, uh, but that's, you know, pretty remarkable. Yeah. So, but um, are you, uh, is, is a little part of you saying, I don't know, it'd be nice to work at a smaller place where you have a little more personality yeah. put well, into the, uh, I'll tell you, from a winemaker's point of view, it's much more challenging to make a $6 bottle of Chardonnay than it is to make a $60 bottle of Chardonnay. The $60 bottle, you've get, you're getting hand-selected fruit. Yeah. That, you know, eat, clusters don't touch each other. Yeah. You're getting the best barrels in the world. You know, uh, that's... you got to keep your eye on the ball. But to do a $6 bottle of Chardonnay and have it be taste good and be consistent and uh that's that's more work so did so did you have i'm imagining you know you're getting fruit from one particular vineyard but then so that's one of your toys is this huge tank of that but then you're so you're basically taking a bunch of different wines and trying to blend them together to make the most delicious six dollar bottle of chardonnay you can possibly make right with economic constraints right you you know you can't the cost of goods the price per gallon of the fruit that you're using yeah is there's a ceiling on that so you you have to blend down to you know uh 24.9 with other grapes that are less expensive than say chardonnay so you have to use french columbard and you have right. to use chenin blanc uh, wasn't there a program at benziger that there was and maybe this was you try to figure out how to make chenin blanc taste more like chardonnay right and that was putting <laughs> it on fermenting it on chardonnay lees after the chardonnay was done 
you rack the Chardonnay off, and then you put Chenin Blanc juice on that Chardonnay leaves to get How'd it work some out? texture. Well, yeah. first thing that happens is that Chenin Blanc is all uh, immediately 10% Chardonnay because of the leaves that's yeah. in there. <laughs> So it tastes a little like Chardonnay. I'm sure, I'm sure it does. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> but it, it was uh, more education, you know, more uh, working with great people um, and, and fun. But I was away from my family, uh, which made it tough. I was like, So they I, weren't, they didn't move with you? No, they, they uh, were going to, but okay. then things changed okay so i was and my kids were fairly young you know little league age and stuff so you know it was an hour and 45 minutes to get back for a little league game and then got to go back to manteca the next day uh it it got tough yeah uh so i had an opportunity to get back closer to home (laughs) so is there a place that you have not worked that you would really love to no i'm retired now i'm done I mean, I've I've had enough fun. It's time for the uh, next generation. I'm sure they're still calling on your brain. Well, yeah. you know, I had a dream last night, probably because this interview is coming up, <laughs> and uh, it was a general manager opportunity, but I can't remember uh, who who it was. Um, but to, I mean, you, but to be fair, I mean, they are still calling on your brain because, so. besides helping, you know, during harvest with La Prenda, um, you know, we had Mike Cox on the show yep. uh-huh. um, and, and tasted of those wines. And, and you mentioned that you, during bottling, you help at least procure um, some of the supplies or at least count them to make sure uh, the right amounts are there, stuff like that. Yeah, I help organize that stuff. And, um, and I tell Ned all the time, I go, Ned, you don't really need me for this. You know, this is simple stuff. He goes, yeah, but I like having you around. Yeah. So... That's like why they can't, a, you can't quit. No, no. They, they like having an old-timer around who's, as that commercial goes, we've seen a thing or two, you know? Yep. I, um, I mean, I, I'm a huge shout-out to Charlie. At one point, there was a time where he got asked to help out at Valley the Moon Winery um, during one of its ownerships, and he picked up the pressure washer and saw how dirty it was under the tanks and, and cleaned under the tanks, and... And that's, you know, that's just something when you do this long enough, you look at it and you go, well, if I got, if I don't have anything to do, that's something I can do and actually add some value to what's going on. And I so, think I borrowed the hose from you because yeah. uh, their hose was all broken, which is why it wasn't getting done. Right. <laughs> and this is not, at, he, this wasn't when, when he was 25 years old either. This is, um, you know, after he'd been certainly doing this for a long time. So right, yeah. sometimes when you do this long enough, you just know what things aren't getting touched yeah. so it is good to have a, a an old guy around um you know but talk about consulting i mean you know should try to figure out a way to you know dial a winemaker 1-800 dial a winemaker and you can just solve people's problems only if they listen <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> yeah and um currently i i work with la prenda yeah um and then also with um, Dunbar. Dunbar. Yeah. Ah, uh, uh, cool. And Bard actually made this wine. What? I, yeah. Um, I, I, my name's on here as the winemaker, but Mark did all the work. <laughs> we did it at Lassiter, which is right next door uh, to okay. Dunbar. Yeah. And um, 
Bart's behind the, the guy school. who okay. crushed the grapes, put in the yeast, did the pump overs, did the racking, you know, the pressing. Well, thank you, Bart. Yeah, yeah, it's well, delicious. Thank, thank, thank you, thank you, Charlie. Um, yeah, uh, that was fun to be able to. That was the first time we actually ever worked together. Um, uh, but that was a fun project, and the wine's tasting good. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's it's the the fruit is from that area right over there by the school. Uh, so the other end of of um, Dunbar, mm-hmm. um, right on the uh, would have been the south side of the Lasseter's property. There's that house. If you take a look at it, you'll realize that's where it is, right on Dunbar Road. Okay. And um, such a pretty little yeah. Spot the, there. Oh, the, it is. It is. You know. That and that vineyard goes back to another Kenwood connection. Um, uh, planted by Chua Dawes, um, and for years farmed by Chewy, um, Merlot and Zinfandel, and then in back with the Zin, there's some a bunch of um, blending grapes for Zin. There's a little bit of this was Mike Lee's recipe for Zin. It was right. uh, you know recipe x, x x amount of Zinfandel, and they got the budwood from the Zinfandel from the DePrat Ranch in Mendocino County. Yep. Which uh, John Sheila owned for some for a while, and then Mike wanted Petit Syrah, Carignan, and Alicante uh, to go into his Zinfandel. Yeah, and it was always a little heavy on Petit. Well, you need that color. <laughs> you gotta Alicante, make it nice and dark. Alicante gave you plenty. You mentioned Pagani a while back, right? And Pagani, I only know Pagani Ranch just drive by. I didn't know that they were. So the, as Actual I understand brand. it, there were two different Paganis, um, or and 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 they were related, but not one grape of Pagani that you drive by on Highway 12 ever went to the Pagani Winery, which is now known as Kenwood Winery. Okay, that's the story that's I was I always told. Okay, there was a Pagani Winery in Glen Ellen where the uh, Glen Ellen, what's it called, the Glen Ellen. The, oh, Jack like the, London, the Jack London, the Jack London, the Mill is. Yeah. Um, uh, Pagani Winery was there at one point. Well, um, you know, I'll, I'll have to check with Mario Amantiti. Yeah. Because he's he would know. Yeah. He's in that Dino. family. Oh, Dino's his uh, his brother or cousin. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I, I don't so yeah. I don't know Mario. Okay. Mario was the pitching coach for the uh, Sonoma Varsity baseball. Okay. For a number of years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He'll he'll know the true story. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of baseball, are you a Stompers fan? You, you know, um, been to by, any of the games? By the, sure I have. Okay. And uh, you know, and uh, I know some of the kids that are going to be on Good. playing on that team. Uh, certainly going to support them. But I'll tell you what: after the high school season, it starts February seventh, and it ended uh, May thirteenth. Not that I'm keeping track, but it's six days a week, and it's yeah. a lot of hours every day. So by the time that season wraps up, I'm I'm a little bit baseballed out. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but you know, three weeks afterwards, then I miss it. Right. But you know, right, right now I'm still like enjoying. Right. Because it's not just the players; it's the field prep, it's the travel to the away games. Right. It's yeah. Yeah. And you and you're helping coach which team? Uh, the, the freshman team. The freshman team. At last year, I got a field promotion to the varsity because uh, COVID shut down the freshman team. Oh. So there weren't enough kids signed up. So we didn't field the freshman team last year. But uh, this is my fourth year helping out. 
And it's, um, I'll tell you one thing, it gives me a lot of hope for our future because uh, this current generation, uh, people always say, oh, what's wrong with the kids today? Remember Bye Bye Birdie? Uh, I'm really impressed by uh, the young young people I mean, coming through. Charlie, that's so cool to hear because I don't think I don't think those kids hear that enough, and I don't think we hear that enough. You know, I think it's all uh, head down. You know, heads and computers. You know, well, you've got um, one in high I school. I do. I do. Yeah. And and he, um, quite frankly, has like something has some light has turned on within him and um recently that's been really positive no i mean i'm just called hormones uh, well no no that's been on for a long time um but you know he's started off he wanted just to volunteer this summer at the boys and girls club and now it turns out he has a paid internship for a month um with uh with the boys and girls club helping with that new program they're doing that summer school and athletics program and um, and he's like totally psyched about it. And if I would have asked him a year ago, would you like to volunteer at the Boys and Girls Club? He would have just rolled his eyes and walked away from me. <laughs> well, it, or so, did, and that was all on him. Yeah. Or did him. you ask him to do it this time, or was it his decision? No, he. It was his idea. That's what I mean. That's so. Yeah. That's the, that's the thing with these kids. I mean, we got. I got a 13 year old daughter. If if we tell her that she's doing something right she has an issue with it but if we say no you decide what you want to do she'll she'll pick something and then and then we're happy with that decision too right yeah yeah but that's that's great to hear charlie look who's pulling up you know oh look (laughs) mr katuri fresh off the line oh yeah (laughs) and boy are his hands sore (laughs) (laughs) you did take bottles though yeah and bottles and pictures that's what i did Bottles and pictures. Hey, Charlie. Good to see you, Sam. Good, good. Entering in, Sam Katuri. This is perfect because we were just about ready to go to the Don't Panic, It's Organic Fetzer time. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I might have skipped ahead because maybe Eagle and a Rose was um, before or after. That was in between Delicato and Fetzer. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. You want me to open these? Yeah, it's open yeah. But at Fetcher's where I got the uh, organic, I bought the I, hook, line, and sinker. I swallowed that Kool-Aid. You did? Yeah, I'm, I'm a firm believer. And then uh, after that, working with Dick Arrowwood, Phil did all his farming. Right. Um, it, it just reinforced it. It's the way to go. Was Fetzer started that way? Was, was it built upon that concept of farming organically? No, that came along. That was a Paul Dolan mission. Uh, he decided to get convert all their uh, outside grape growers to uh, organic within mm-hmm. 10 years, and they were well on the way to doing that. They had all their internal vineyards were organically certified. Uh, they were getting their outside vineyards uh, converted over a 10-year period. Mm-hmm. What year was that? I was there, boy, oh four maybe when I was there. But they were they were on the. The fences were already. Were they were on the the organic train by then? It like that was probably oh, yeah. they were probably ten years into it by then, right? Maybe not quite. Yeah, it was seven or se- yeah, six mid, or seven or eight. 90s. Yeah, and Mendocino was way ahead right. of Sonoma County and embracing organic. 
Uh, yeah. Still is. Why is that? They just open, it, it, it's open a, to it. It's a more competitive uh, to find a market for your fruit. Mm. Uh, you know, Napa. Yeah, they have no problem. Sonoma's easier. Mendocino. Yeah, uh, it's more price competitive. So anything you can do to uh, enhance your ability to sell sure thing. and get a higher price, it, you know, it's economics. Hmm. Do you think it's there's also less corporate ownership in Mendocino? Smaller vineyards, more mom and pop shops. I think, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, Fetzer is is the big the big. That, when I was there, it was owned by Brown Foreman. Now it's Conchi Toro. Um, before, when, did the, yeah. when did the Fetzers sell it? In the, in the 90s, 90s, maybe? Yeah. 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 And, and they... Before the big money. They kind of they kind of divide... Well, they got, they got plenty of money. Um, they kind of divided up a bunch of the properties and different family members all started their own brands, um, which some of those have now been sold and whatnot, but some of them are still being operated by Next Generation. Um, and uh, they've, but they've all stuck with it, either organic or biodynamic, the whole way through. So, um, definitely in it from the beginning. But yeah, it was Paul Dolan. Yeah. That was got the family. Will, will you expand on who Paul Dolan is? Uh, Paul was one of the. I think he was the founding winemaker at Fetzer, uh, and, and then he became. Um, president um and he's a real pioneer in um in that area mendocino county i mean fetcher was uh they kind of paralleled the benziger family with their growth uh fetcher family that's a, uh, that's a, that's a great analogy yeah sort of the benzigers of mendocino yeah and then they actually those two families spent a lot of time together uh you know brainstorming and partying down and say they have a <laughs> drinking tequila yeah yeah you gotta clench your palate as joey says you know he sterilizes his palate right. <laughs> on the vomit ski trips we would always run into people from fetzer yeah up you know on that trip they they had vomit a similar trip trips? yeah valley of the moon men's intense training thank you vomit yeah yeah, yeah vomit would have been canceled yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are we even allowed to Talk about it? I don't know. Is it too, we're too woke for vomit? Yeah. Well, didn't it get down to uh, it was Dale, Mark Stupich, and uh, uh, Murphy? Yeah. Uh, Mark were the, Stupich. Yeah, the yeah. final three, right. and they then they broke a fan belt and yeah. So so there would be a ski trip, and this was well before my time, but there was a ski trip. It would go a one day ski trip, and you had to take a shot of tequila to get on the bus. Um, at 5 a.m. At 5 a.m. And the time, the first time I went, I it, the the shot glass I used was Jerry Benziger's um, urine cup from the day before when we got a physical. <laughs> oh, my um, God. He was having everybody drink. <laughs> he had everybody drink out of it, and he got on the bus, and he said, that's my urine cup. Um, so I that... That's really just sucks the most for the first couple of guys, though, right? <laughs> After that, it's just a Sterile. <laughs> but it was always a one-day trip, and it was always a lot of fun. There at the 20th anniversary, it was a two-day trip, and um, if things got a little out of control, we went back to one-day trips. At the time, we said every year should be a two-day trip, but no, one-day trip was the correct way. But on that trip, 
Bruce Rector, who wants to come on and be on the show. I don't know if we're ready for that. Um, but Bruce um, was brought out a bunch of the old Glen Ellen wines. Um, and I tell you what, a lot of them were alive and tasted awesome, you know, um, of their era. Uh, those Glen Ellen proprietor reserve wines. So a, a reason to have Bruce on just to get him to open right, up some of those things. Bring something out of the cellar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so. Sam, how are your wines tasting this morning? Uh, it was good. It's good. We did we did 2021 uh, white wine. So that was uh, homage blanc, which I brought back. Um, this is the first vintage where the uh, claret blanche blanc blanche blanche. It's spelled with a C H E. I say claret blanche. Claret blanc, but the claret. Uh, was online at the Rossi for the Rossi White. So, oh, so that's this that's got five six percent claret, um, and then like sixty percent Roussan and the rest Grenache Blanc. Um, so I'm excited about that. It's sort of like seriousnesses seriousifies the wine a little bit um, compared to past vintages. Well done, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Making up words. Yeah, I woke up early for me. Um, <laughs> hey, congratulations, <laughs> Brian. That was a hard bottle to open. Uh, well, well, it was a fresh it, cork. It's a fresh oak. cork, and so use and, and using an shitty, also and a shitty also. That was like but, an also that I, um, I think somebody gave me a dollar to take it from their garage sale. <laughs> I was like, oh, an also. They're like, yeah, here's buck. Take but it. But John, I, I have not met a bottle that I cannot open. Well, there Yet. you go. That That's isn't good. that the definition of a sommelier? That's right. <laughs> the, you, you ain't keeping me out of there. Well, you can always go to the sword, you know. <laughs> I got one of those at work. <laughs> how often? Do, how often do you? Is there sobrage? At uh, we used to do it all. The, we used to do it every Saturday, but we, um, now we just do it for like uh, groups come in and they they request it. But yeah, not for still. But it works for sure. I it mean, does. you can use anything. You you haven't seen. Videos of people, they'll use anything to like to savor yeah. wines now. Savor fails. Mike, Mike Cox can do it with a wine glass. Oh, yeah, I've seen that with a champagne flute or yeah. can open a, a shoe. Really? <laughs> okay. Well, if you're, if you're sabering, yeah. supposedly it's really just about um, you come hitting, down the, the line. hitting the seal, hitting right. the, the seam right. at, the, at the lip. And, um, and you want it to be cold. And it has to, it has to be super cold. Yeah, and also not you from your trunk and then into ice for ten minutes. Don't but cold. chop like your um, the general manager at the French Laundry, like John Belushi in the old SNL. <laughs> the if samurai. Is, if your sword is sharp enough, maybe I don't know. Yeah, they're not even they're not even sharp. It's just more about. Yeah. It's all about the show, baby. Yeah. All about the yeah. show. Yeah. Just don't put your eye out. That's right. Okay. <laughs> You'll saber your eye out, kid. Let me try some of this. What do we got here? So, what is in this white wine? Uh, it is it is uh, like 60, 65% Roussan. Um, so, about 60% Roussan, 35% uh, Grenache Blanc, and 5% Claret. And uh, what's in this shiner here? That shiner is 2019 Simon's Cabernet that oh. we um, just bottled today. We decided at some point... You know, in the blending trials and tasting last spring, winter, spring, 2020. Yum. 
What year is it now? 2021. Boy, is this uh, nice. Yeah. It's, 20, that's it's 22, now 2022. So, oh. in the, so normally we would have bottled... <laughs> you had me for a minute there. <laughs> uh, normally we would have bottled this last last spring, last May, um, the Simon's Cab, but we decided to give it an extra year in barrel. I mean, we could have bottled it. It would have been great. Oh, it tastes uh, great. But by uh, you know taking it from 36 months to 48... No. Jesus Christ! No, twenty uh, twenty four months. Rough morning for math, Charlie. Uh, from you know a normal what like eighteen nineteen months, add an extra twelve to that. Um, thirty. So thirty months or so on uh, barrel time on the Simon nineteen Simon's cab. Um, it definitely did it well. Uh, it's the kind of thing that you can do. Um, you know, twenty twenty reds were very short, so there was room in the. There was room in the winery to let, you know, hang on to those barrels. It was, what, six barrels um, yeah. for an extra year. But, you know, not uh, something I would love to do again, but, you know, you have to have the winery space. And to, to well, it, it worked and worked well. It worked for this. Yeah. It really worked for this, for sure. So, uh, you heard, this is extra, okay. extra elevage. Bart was listening, even though he stepped away. <laughs> So Charlie, um, yeah, we left Charlie at Fetzer, right? <laughs> it's, it's 2004, and he's in Hopland. And 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 Fetzer was another a larger winery, smaller than Delcato, right? But still, still big. You know, yeah. in the you know, three to four million cases every year. Yeah, yeah, that's. But you yeah. again had a like a specific program that you were there to work on if i remember right uh actually i was director of seller operations which really meant i had to coordinate what eight winemakers wanted done and coordinate that and, and actually get it executed right. which as you know winemakers has been described as herding cats you know <laughs> but uh again you know working with top-notch people no egos well, you know, not, you know, occasionally you'd have an ego. But the the people I work, Dennis Martin, yeah. the nicest guy you could ever possibly meet. Yeah. God bless Denny. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd go to him with a question and he'd go, you know, you know what you're doing. Y you really don't need to bother me. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we brought that's you on. That's good, though. That's yeah, a, yeah, that's yeah. a that's yeah. a sign of respect. Yeah. And, and and all he wanted to do was make blends and you know work on wine. And he didn't want to all the meetings he had to go to and right. this and that. He, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I saw this today on Wine Business Monthly. Shout out Wine Business Monthly. Um, Bob Blue uh, finally is retiring. Right, Bob and I worked together. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe think of it. Top-notch guy. His yeah. his uh, kids were similar in age to my kids. In fact, our our daughters played uh, basketball against each other. Um, and yeah, Bob and I spent a lot of time together. Um, but <clears throat> when they're saying that uh, the first to use uh, bourbon barrels, mm -hmm. they they qualified that by saying in this century. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, there was a place in San Francisco where you could get a, a used bourbon barrel for five bucks. Uh, this is when I worked for Al Brett. 
Um, and the wine business, I, in my opinion, the fastest way to mess up a good wine is to put it in a used bourbon barrel. <laughs> and I did that with some home wine Zinfandel. And they, because the bourbon barrels are charred, yep. and then they've got residue bourbon in there. In fact, you can, you can get a whole bunch of bourbon from 20 or 30 empty bourbon barrels Let them sit upside down for a while on a warm day but that char is it just <laughs> leaches all the color out and then the alcohol just takes over so if you got a nice infantile and you want to mess it up put it in a bourbon yeah. barrel <laughs> <laughs> sorry bob sorry bob i but i mean there there's a number of wines out there right now that are you know claiming aged in barrel or bourbon barrels whiskey barrels i think Specifically, there's probably two vintages in the last five years that uh, one way to save or manipulate enough, at least just to say it's in a, from a bourbon barrel. I'm thinking, you know, 17s and 20s. Um, I think, I, I think, you know, there's probably, oh, there's probably a little uptick in bourbon barrel aging right. uh, of some of those wines. Huh. Sam, that's a small enough conspiracy that you might actually be able to pull that one off. Well, or at least hopefully the people who listen, well, there's <laughs> a small enough group that I don't get in trouble for saying it. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. When I worked for Al Brett, we got sent over to St. Helena to unload a rail car of uh, these bourbon barrels. And uh, <clears throat> we, we ended up with one extra one. Uh, Wait, bar barrel or car? Uh, out of a freight train okay. car, we unloaded um, 20 or 30 barrels. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we, out of each one, we got almost, a, not a quart, but, you know, a fair amount. And this is high proof. This hasn't been cut yet. Right. Right. So we ended up with, like, a couple gallons of, like, very high proof. <laughs> and you, those are just, like, left sort of, it was... Was it just, just like in the bottom of the barrel? Right, right. Or when they, was it like you were like had you know waiting to pull it out of the out of the wood? Uh, no, when they when they do it at the distillery, they just they roll them over a trough with the bung down. Yeah, right. And it drips, and then they bung it back up, and then they they can only use a barrel a bourbon barrel once to meet the definition of <laughs> bourbon and. That's probably from the cooperage industry right, exactly. lobby. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we rule. would get these, and then by the time they traveled across the country in a hot boxcar, that that vapor came back out of the wood, and yeah, and that was fire water. I mean, that's that's perfect for your coffee every morning for like a year, right? For the whole crew. <laughs> Gets you going for sure. <laughs> Yeah, right. That's gonna that's that's gonna be a really good way to start your day. <laughs> well, all right, Sam. That's a that's a Merlot, supposedly made by Bart, but it's got Bart Charlie Charlie's work. name on there. Charlie Charlie made the calls. I just orchestrated the work. We made this at Lassiter. Um, that's the vineyard just north of Lassiter's property there. South. 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 Yeah. No, the south. other north. Yeah, the other the other <laughs> north. Depends which way you're facing the mountain. Um, all right, so we've been we've been on this for a long time. If you're still listening, um, I want to talk a little, at least a little bit, going back to 
um, going to back to work for Richard. Oh, yeah. yeah. So uh, I was at Fetzer. Right. I had a great job. Um, and uh, Mike Bertou right. was leaving uh, Arrowwood to go to work for Mayo. And so uh, Dick Arrowwood gave me a call. He said, hey. And again, you know, my my kids are playing sports in high school, you know. So from Hoplin to Napa, it's, you know, it's almost two hours to get to a Friday night football game. Right. And then it's during harvest, so you got to be back up there the next morning. So um, he gave a call, and I said, yeah, I'm changing from an hour, hour and 45-minute commute to a 10-minute commute. Yeah, I'll take it. So... Um, came back to work for Mr. Arrowit and uh, that little winery it ran like a Swiss watch and he had a great crew it was a, it was like a miniature Chateau St. Jean right pretty much this is uh, Am- Amapola Creek no this is Arrowwood before Amapola Creek yeah and the crew that just knew what they're doing you know as I mentioned earlier Richard was very demanding very detail oriented but if you did it the way he wanted, everything was as smooth as could be. So what was the Richard Arrowwood of Chateau St. Jean? What was different between Richard Arrowwood of Chateau St. Jean and Richard Arrowwood at Arrowwood? He, he had mellowed quite a bit. And, uh, you know, he still was driven for perfection. And nothing wrong with that when, when you're creating um, a product like this you know whether it's a glass of wine or a meal if you're shooting for the highest standards good for you right. uh and he would not negotiate certain aspects you know s- cleanliness being one uh doing it a particular way i mean it came down to the handles on the tank doors being all aligned yeah. you know a little bit of ocd is a good thing you know yeah. um and, and and if you but did you know that going in did oh when I, you went wor- back- I, I worked for him for five years at st jean right I've, i knew exactly so you didn't come back in the next time and go i wonder if this will still bug him you just kind of got on board no he he <laughs> turn every tank handle just a little like yeah just well a little bit the mike, mike mike would do that mike <laughs> would do that on purpose <laughs> but um <laughs> But you know, Richard and I knew each other from working together for five years. So he knew what he was getting. I knew what I was getting, and uh, and it, you know, and it's really fun to work on wines of that quality. Yeah. And then he was getting a lot of grapes from Phil, uh, which, you know, have you ever met a grape grower who goes, they're not quite ready. I think they need another week. No. That's you just don't see that anywhere. Were, were there any? Was there any ever a conversation? And I don't know. Maybe this is wrong to ask, but did did Richard ever look at you and go, "You think Phil's full of shit?" No, he he fully bought on. I bought in. Conversation. He, he bought in, and uh, he, he he believed in in what Phil was doing yeah. and his Cause, motivation. Because do you think the do you think that Richard Arrowwood of again Chateau Saint Jean would have been as open to organic farming and farming that way. If it related to fruit quality, absolutely. That that's that's the driver, the number one driver. And I think and, and I and I think it just wasn't available at the time, right? I mean I, I think 
I think Richard always um, believed, you know, the best the best grapes is the most important thing. Um, and I think just, you know, until he had the opportunity to work with Phil and on his own project. Yeah. Um, I mean, they were... Whoa. They worked together going back to the 70s, though. I mean, even when Phil was first starting, a lot of those... Um, uh, in fact, like Kevin Burns is hoarding them all that ever pop up on winebid.com. Um, 70s Chateau Saint-Jean from, quote, Glen Ellen Vineyards. Oh, right, okay. which right. Is, which is burning. now repris. Right. Yeah, burning was uh, burning. Mosher was farming that right, and those guys and, were all and Phil and, yeah. They were they were partners at first. Yeah, Phil and Bernie. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then uh, Barney Fernandez was uh, Richard's grape grower guy, and he was tight with yeah. those. They they were you know simpatico. And actually, I wonder if some Phil grown you know a lot of the Phil grown grapes from the eighties went to Katuri Winery, but I imagine that if there was stuff to sell to. To Richard at Saturday Saint Jean, yeah. that it was probably probably happened. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 You know whether it was certified organic yeah. then or not, it was right. at least the beginnings of that. Um, and you know we've talked about it. It's been talked about many times how diametrically different people Phil and Richard Arrowhead are, who have this. You know, until Richard retired, essentially had a forty-year working relationship you know yeah. uh, you just you just check your politics at the door right yeah you know or they or they wouldn't which was actually the fun times no. <laughs> see i i uh richard every morning we did a like a 15 minute walk and then i he would unload his uh political beliefs and uh <clears throat> and i'm pretty much the direct opposite those were the the walks down to the water tank right well yeah it was to lower his blood pressure you know <laughs> morning walk uh now we we didn't see eye to eye politically but uh when it came to getting wine done yeah. we we were of like mind yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> i miss richard around sonoma i absolutely do and, and it's funny because i keep saying that i I have his contact information. I keep saying that I'm going to, you know, call him or something, but over COVID and them moving, which, you know, they kind of, they moved. And I know Maureen had wanted to throw him a going away party, which he wanted nothing to do with. Um, I often think about, you know, trying to get a hold of him. And where, uh, what happened to Amapola? He sold it to Brian Weiss. Yeah. So B Wise is now absorbed. Okay. And, and the vineyards and the house and yeah. Yeah. Lock, stock, and barrel. Yeah. Well, yeah. Brian had been trying to buy that from him for ever. Well, he got a nice deal. Yeah. I mean, it's a good, oh, little, it's good little place. Amazing. amazing. Yeah. To, total side note, do you guys know if Petroni has sold? Um, I don't think I don't think it has. Yeah, I had heard somewhere recently that it had not. It was still. Yeah. It seemed like a good price for a winery up on the hill. Uh, I believe there may be permitting issues or lack okay. thereof uh, right. at that property. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, Lorenzo, <clears throat> Lorenzo never met a rule he wanted to follow. I don't, I don't think any of those food and wine pairing things that I had done up there were were legal, but but they were good. I interviewed there once for a position, and when I was checking out the winery, I talked to a guy who worked for one of the the heating cooling companies 
And he goes, you don't want to go to work there. And I was like, well, why not? And he goes, last year, it was during harvest, and they had their chillers going on for the fermenting tanks. And Lorenzo's wife or girlfriend at the time Mary Ellen. Mary was Leah. up there with her with her friends and it was making a lot of noise so she turned everything <laughs> off <laughs> because she was out at the pool with her friends um and it's bugging lost, me yeah, it's bugging me honey turn that shit off you know? um, so, yeah. yeah and and i didn't get the job offering anyway but i just i love that story yeah. well, it was, it's loud turn it off it was a private home that was turned into with a basically they like built a winery underneath it and then somehow built a giant cave next to it uh and with nary a county inspection (laughs) well you know they're coming down hard on these people who are not following the rules you know it's like this there's this place up in cloverdale that they're looking at a three and a half million dollar fine ouch for you know ripping out trees and you know causing you know, uh, sediment to go oh, into yeah. the river. Good, good, yeah. Yeah. good, yeah, very positive. Yeah, I mean, the reason that we have the rules is because people can't do it right on their own, right? I mean, you know, you look at the history. A lot of things that got built couldn't be built today. A lot of the vineyards that that enter, you know, Phil and Enterprise Vineyards sure. have developed yeah. would never be done today. Because enough people have done it wrong that there's now rules in place right. that you just can't do it at all. So, I mean, you know, it's good to see enforcement on that. You know, $3 million doesn't replant oak trees, though. I mean, you know, you have to go plant trees, but same thing that Justin did down in in, in Paso. You plant, a, right. you cut down a bunch of old trees, pay a fine, and plant a bunch of new trees. It's kind of like just the cost of business for some people, right? They just kind of like factor that into the business model. Yeah, I mean, what do you say after that? You know, responsible. Well, if we self-policed, which would be the ideal way, uh, then we would need all the regulations. Right. Yeah, but we don't. Yeah. 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 So. All right. All right. Um, Charlie, congratulations on 50, almost 51 harvest. Seriously, I, I, you know, I hold uh, your experience a lot in my heart and um, as a, a true inspiration. And um, well, you know, <clears throat> if I grew up in uh, West Virginia, I'd probably be a coal miner. You know, <laughs> well, but not Cali- anymore. <laughs> Sonoma County, <laughs> Sonoma County. What, what else you gonna right, do? You know, yeah, yeah. I worked with a guy at uh, Fetzer, and he was um, direct director of facilities. And he goes, "If it wasn't for Fetzer, I'd be pumping gas." Right. I I mean, it's interesting. I I think about this. I heard an interview recently with someone and they were talking about how they fell in love with wine and um, after going to school and they decided that wine was really where they wanted to be and they wanted to be learn how to make wine and whatnot. And I thought, I don't I don't think that ever would have come to me. The way I like fell into it is like, here's a job. And then I fell in love with wine and making wine from doing it. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm happy it's that way because I think the other one would have maybe passed me by. Um, yeah. I, I can't I can't guarantee I would have started drinking really good wine. Yeah, but I'm glad you did. Yeah, me too. Um, the to, to shout out another wine podcast, not one that needs any shouting out. Um, the most recent episode yeah. of Levy Dalton. I'll, I'll yeah. drink to that. Yeah. Um, he interviewed uh, Patrick Campbell. 
Oh, yeah. right. And, awesome. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, so there, it came to my attention because one of our listeners tagged a, a Instagram post. There's a there's a few Phil mentions, you know, that time up there on Sonoma Mountain. But they sort of prefaced the whole episode with this really interesting discussion or sort of like, you know, the, how they do on that podcast where they take cl- clips from older episodes that sort of add context to the conversation you're about to hear. And it was all about... Um, the sort of transition in the wine business from uh, medium and big wineries making wine to go into the three-tier system and small wineries uh, starting to happen because of the Granholm Supreme Court decision that allowed, or at least started to create a system for DTC shipping to all, you know, to most states. Um, and, you know, I was, as I was listening to that, I think, and I think this is probably for, we could have a whole episode on this, but... You know, that was in the in the sort of history of California wine, recent history. Yeah. Um, but it was also sort of like happened while I was away from Sonoma and away from this business. And um, it really changed, I think, then from, you know, all these sort of large mid-sized players in the three-tier world, 100,000 plus to 3 million, you know, case kind of thing uh, that goes into wholesale, goes into the three-tier system, there's very little DTC to somehow uh, allowing DTC to happen allows Richard Arrowwood to start making things, you know, at Arrowwood, but also with Amapola Creek that you don't make enough of it to go into into wholesale, so it becomes you know, we, we pay attention to it more because it's there's less of it. It's more scarce. It's higher quality. And there's a, a way for people all over the country to get it. Um, so, that, that, you know, there was something about, like, you know, if that had been in the 80s, maybe, you know, growing up in Petaluma, you would have had, like, the wine part of wine business right. in your brain as opposed to, like, this is a job in a factory right. that just happens to be making wine, right? Because right? that's essentially kind of like... You know, there was very little middle ground there for a long time. So, uh, interesting to see sort of like, you know, what what when that transition was and, and what it led to with, you know, things like what, what we all do. So, but Bart, what it, was your first job with Kenwood? Yeah. Yeah. So, you got thrown into a great mix there. Yeah. I mean, um, I got, uh, well, both my first two jobs, like, I got both great mixes, like, family-owned businesses that were willing to invest in me and and allow me to learn the business, you know. Um, uh, and, and, and I fell in love with it, you know. And, and it's funny, we, we didn't even talk about Steve Sullivan, but, you know, you mentioned him a couple times, I gave him a ring out. But I credit Steve with me staying in the business because when he wanted to leave early or if he wanted to go to lunch on Friday and he needed something done in the cellar, he'd come down to the warehouse and see what I was doing. And if I was slow, if, if I was slow, he would give me a job to do up in the cellar. Oh, right. And that's how I, all of a sudden someone say, Hey, can you do this in the cellar? I knew the, I knew the, the suction end of the pump. Right. You know? Yeah. And so that progressed me along, you know? Um, he taught me a little bit more, you know, about driving barrels, moving barrels, right? You know, he'd go, oh, I got to go get a phone call. And those of us know Steve know that. Um, you know, can you move these barrels for me? And I'd start moving the barrels, you know. So I always say the best thing that ever happened to me in the wine business is when Steve moved to Australia. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, it, it's all about who you get to work with, and, and we've both been fortunate to work for some really, really special people. Yeah, when you get lucky and you get the right places, it makes a big difference yeah. over the, all these years. Well, congratulations yeah. again. Charlie, thanks. Hey, and thanks for inviting me. Yeah. This was a uh, gas. Thank you. Yeah. Pleasure. I, I also, um, <laughs> don't I owe you $20? No, you paid me. I paid you? Okay. Uh, at the golf course. Oh, that's right. That's yeah, right. yeah, okay. yeah. You, okay. He was trying to buy a, a green smoothie thing at Sonoma Market and <laughs> left his wallet in the car. And I go, are you, when you need five bucks, me. well, it was seven bucks. I go, <laughs> of course. Oh, well, here's 20, you know, I'll catch you later. And about six months later, we're playing golf. Kyle Heresy organizes oh, charitable go right. golf that's thing. Oh, right. He goes, I owe you 20 bucks. I go, yeah, whenever. He goes, well, here, I got it now. So get it we're all I, good. Get it while I got it. Okay, good. We're all good. <laughs> Somehow I don't remember the details of a golf tournament organized by Kyle Harris. Yeah. You know, Ky <laughs> Kyle was at the hotel last weekend hanging out at the food truck on Friday night. That's um, his hood, you know. The, the, he lives right down the street. They were having a good time. Yeah. Details are fuzzy. Yeah. Kyle, <laughs> for those of you still listening, Kyle... Son of Val. Right, right. right. Oh, did get a name check in this? Of course. Oh, yeah. and, uh, Several well, times, yeah. Also, yeah. one of the first guests we ever had on the podcast was Kyle, Kyle like yeah. way back in the day. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have any memory of that either. Fuzzy. Fuzzy <laughs> details. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. Wait, wait. Shout outs? I, well, no, I guess not. Do you <laughs> want to wrap this? <laughs> well, the show. I thought you were. <laughs> I do. I have a, a, an event I'm hyping. Oh, hype? Uh, July 3rd. Vinyl Sunday, whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. Uh, Marty O'Reilly. Uh, oh yeah, it's a Marty O'Reilly show. It's a Vinyl Sunday because uh, it's a Sunday, but it's not here. It's at the Denmark Street Barn uh, in a vineyard out in the middle of you know the east side of the valley, uh, and we're gonna release some rosé. Uh, you know, Phil sent me members buy a ticket like everybody else, but there's. Uh, like a special VIP area and food and wine complimentary for members. Um, so July 3rd, the link's out there in the world. I put a bad link in the email. Uh, it was, uh, the email I just put out, it wasn't even about the event. It was about our CAN program. Yes. At the very bottom, I said, oh, hey, Ticket ticket Live is now link. Uh, you know, Ticket Link is now live. Uh, link was bad. And just to prove all those like marketing scientists wrong, people read the entire email and read all right. the way down to the bottom and yeah. click every link because I got more more or, more people called and emailed to say or texted me saying it was a bad link than actually ordered wine. <laughs> <laughs> and anyone that hasn't seen Marty, Marty at, um, oh, yeah. Great played guys. at yeah. the Fairmont last week or the week before and, and brought a couple of the his old guys from the old soul that's, orchestra that's and they absolutely killed it. I mean, I had people the next day coming up to me saying, who were those guys from last night? Like, how, how come we've never heard of them before? Um, I, just, just amazing show. So, Marty highly recommend July 3rd. It. Yep. All right. Drink, 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 you can wrap it up, yeah, drink uh, more wine. Drink then more that's wine. what we are. We're wrapping <laughs> it up. We'll talk to you next week. Subscribe, <laughs> review, tell your friends. <laughs>